Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells. I am your creator and host. I'm your creator. I'm not God, but I'm the creator of this podcast. Um, I'm also the founder of the Feely Human Collective. This is episode 213 on learning to be on your own side with Yasmin Urfani. Yasmin is the Youth Programs Director at NAMI San Fernando Valley, And in this chat, we explore being worried about what others think of us, the cultural norm of hard things being swept under the rug, how Yasmin's openness about her mental health has juxtaposed with her Pakistani and Muslim family, and learning to be on your own side and not abandoning yourself and really having your own back. Really love this conversation. Really appreciate and cherish what Yasmin is doing in mental health advocacy and suicide prevention, training, etc. Before we get to the episode, though, I would really love if you could please, please, please leave a rating and review for uh, this podcast in Apple Podcasts. It does truly help out the show. The more ratings and reviews, the higher it climbs in the charts, and the more people see more people listen. The more people listen to you, uh, the guests on this show, the more people listen to me and the empathy and the feelings and the mental health, and there's less feeling alone. And so if you haven't left a rating and review, please do it. If it feels overwhelming to do so, um, maybe describe an experience you had with a specific episode, or maybe you want to just, I don't know, talk about how you think I'm a silly boy and how much you love dogs or I don't know, just leave a rating and review. Honest feedback is great. Uh, we're trying to get to 200 episodes. In, uh, in, as part of that, I'm going to read a couple of new reviews I received in the last week. This one is from Annie. Uh, Annie says, lovely podcast, an honest space discussing the heart and related topics. This is a podcast I come back to again and again. Thanks known for encouraging feely convos. Very important stuff. Thank you, Annie. That's lovely. Uh, This one is from Lil Kitten Nash. I know who this is. Uh, I know who both these people are, I think. They follow me on uh, Instagram. Hi. Uh, Anyways, this is from Lil Kitten Ash. Safe space to feel seen and heard. They say, I started my healing journey over the last few years. I've come to find ways to healthily cope, and one of those is listening to Yumi Empathy along with other podcasts about mental health. When I cannot relate directly to the guests and their experiences, I am still able to connect to emotion and feel with them and come to new opportunities to figure out what's going on in this noggin of mine. 
and I'm not alone. Very true. Known holds space for guests with emotional check-ins for their stories, for the hard times and the healing and the highlights, and highlights the non-linearity of healing. I come back to this podcast when I'm feeling both inspired and defeated, and each time I walk away with new understandings of others as well as myself and hope for a future of connection to all life. Very grateful to come across this podcast. Very grateful for you for you for leaving uh, your honest feedback about this show. I do truly appreciate it. Doing an independent podcast, and I recently shared about this on Instagram at Yumi Empathy. It's hard work. I do this by myself. I edit. I do all of it. Um, I also run Feely Human, my small business, by myself. I also have a day job, a full-time day job. It's just a lot, and I, I get overwhelmed at times, and... I also know that I want to keep that feely passion lit and keep going, and I will continue to do that, of course, because this stuff means the world to me. It is my heart. It is my passion. It is my core. And so any way you can support me in taking a couple minutes out of your day to leave a a review in Apple Podcasts, that would mean great. Uh, That would would mean great. That, That makes no sense known. That would mean the world to me. That would make my day. So thank you for doing that in advance. A couple other announcements. Um, Let's see. Ongoing emotional check-in series. The next one is February 18th is when we're meeting. Uh, If you want to join us for the whole year, we're meeting on the third Friday of uh, each month. It's called the emotional check-in series. If you go to feelyhuman.co, click on the workshops tab, click on emotional check-in there at the top. It's accountability for your heart where we gather and get feely and deep and connect to each other on a deep level for about 90 minutes. And um, I would love to have you a part of that. The other thing uh, I wanted to mention is if you are in the Southern California area on February 20th at 10 a.m. Pacific time at Arvida, A-R-V-I-D-A, book company, Arvida Book Company in Tustin, California, I am leading my Illustrating Empathy workshop in person, uh, which is very exciting to do it at an indie bookshop and also a little anxious and nervous making because we're still in a pandemic. So the space is beautiful, the bookshop itself. Please bring a mask uh, and wear your mask. I plan on wearing mine. It is a little outdoor space that we'll be in, so that feels better and, and, and safer and cozy. Uh, I only opened it up for 20 tickets, 20 people, uh, to keep it sort of sparse and safer for all of us. And as of this recording, there are 12 tickets left. So eight people have purchased. There are 12 remaining. If you'd like to be a part of that, it's February 20th, 10 a.m. at Arvida Book Company in Tustin, California. Tickets are at, uh, if you go to illustratingempathy.com or just go to feelyhuman.co, click on the workshops tab and uh, click on Illustrating Empathy. That's it. Those are my announcements. Thank you for listening, truly. I, uh, you know, I know thousands of you listen um, every week, and it, it warms my heart. You're in all pockets of the world, and it makes me happy to know that there are feely humans out there who are thinking about this stuff and, and wanting to grow your own capacity for empathy and vulnerability and, and curiosity and your feelings. It 
helps us. It helps the world. It helps each other. It helps our communities. It helps us. Truly, it helps us face and 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 dismantle slowly these systems that um, oppress and 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 uh, hurt and harm uh, marginalized communities and others. You know, let's let's deepen our empathy so we can um, lead with our hearts for each other and for. Uh, ourselves. So thank you for being a part of this feely human journey with me. And thank you for listening to You Me Empathy. Give uh, Feely Human a follow at Feely Human on Instagram and at You Me Empathy on Instagram as well. And feelyhuman.co is where you can find the show notes for this episode and all episodes and connect with me. And that's it. That's That's all I'm going to say. Let's get to the episode, episode 213, on learning to be on your own side with Yasmin Irfani. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm downright enamored to be here with mental health educator and director of youth programs at NAMI San Fernando Valley. It's Yasmin Irfani. Hello, Yasmin. Hi, Noon. Thank oh, you. Yeah, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm really excited to chat with you and have the opportunity to share my voice. That's lovely. I'm, I'm so grateful to have you. Let's get into it. How uh, we kick off the show with an emotional check-in. How are you feeling, Yasmin? I'm feeling nervous and excited, which I know are the same feeling in the body. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, What do you contribute to those feelings? Do you think? So, I contribute that the excitement is from being able to share, to have a space to be heard and to hopefully help other people, especially from my South Asian Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And the nervousness is the fear of judgment. What will people think? Will I mess up? Will I sound uh, silly or ungrateful or X, Y, Z? Interesting. So 
let me ask you this. Have you been, you know, you, you know, you're in the space, you, you work at NAMI, San Fernando Valley, you're, you're in the youth programs there, or you're directing youth programs there. You're, you've done podcasts, you've been on YouTube, like sharing your voice very valiantly. Like, have you been judged? Have you, you know, been validated for that fear? Ooh, that's a good reality check uh, yeah. question. So for most, m- mostly no, I have not been judged. I have received positive reinforcement from friends, the community, family, yet I guess the voices from my childhood, like the criticism or judgment of you're too sensitive or you're being dramatic or anything like that, it's still with me so then i'm already i have my guard up like oh what if a relative listens to me and they laugh at me Mm. and think that i'm being too much Mm -hmm. yeah so it's really a, a remnant of what you carried as a child yeah yeah i mean i i relate to that i think a lot of us can relate to that i I was just having a conversation with my wife, Jessica, about this very thing, which is like, and I was telling you before, Yasmin, we got started, which is like this thing I'm working on, which is trying to be more connected in my body. And I know the hurdles to that connection are a lot of the things that I'm, I've been carrying for so long from childhood. Some of those limiting beliefs, some of those even unconscious obstacles I'm not even aware of yet that are sort of keeping me from being fully, wholly me and being in love with that person and being sort of present and enjoy with that person. And if that isn't life's work, like, I don't know what is. <laughs> like, that is, that seems to be the the root of it. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I relate because it's like, as much as I tell myself, like, I am a gift and I matter just as much as anyone else, there's still those voices in my head, which are like, oh, you're just uh, being full of yourself or arrogant. And because that's kind of what I learned as a, as a child, that you're supposed to be selfless and help other people don't show off. And <laughs> oh, it's so exhausting mm. to always have those voices in my mind because it's like, I'm trying to unlearn all of that and realize that I'm 29 years old. I am not a child. I am in charge of my own life, but it's, I think it's a lifelong journey. It is. And it's tough. It's, and it's messy and it's human and it's, bumpy and it's mushy and it's uh not without it's uh hard stuff right you know when so when you were growing up you were the perception of you yasmin was that you were sensitive and that you were um maybe perceived as oversensitive is that what you said yeah yes i um how do i explain it like I now I know that I was I'm a highly sensitive person Mm -hmm. and an empath but growing up I didn't know those terms and I thought that it was a curse not a blessing 
you know, where it's like, oh, if I'm getting all these messages, people are telling me to not cry and that are like straight up laughing at my vulnerability, then that must mean there's something wrong with me and I need fixing. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, through many years of therapy and lots of other support um, support systems, I know that I, I love being sensitive. It, it, it was never a weakness. Yeah. And that's why I want to help other people, especially from my community, see, like to reframe uh, what it is to be sensitive. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The re- reframing is a great, great uh, word for it. I, I'm one, because, you know, it's interesting, Yasmin, like I hear, I hear this constantly. I hear from folks on this show who are like us, sensitive, and who grew up feeling alone in that sensitivity or judged by it or, 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 uh, the black sheep or the scapegoat or whatever it may be, right? Whatever role we took. And that seems like a common human experience for sensitive people. I'm also wondering for you in particular, if you could speak to the intersectionality of, or the extra layer of, uh, being Muslim and being Pakistani, you know, in that community and what, what that means in, in that context. Totally. So I can only speak from my own experience, but I think that in the South Asian culture in general, there's a lot of fear of what will people think and Mm. sweeping things under the rug. So for example, if something's going on at home, if I'm having trouble with my parents' divorce growing up, it's like, don't talk to other people about it. Just what, what happens in the home stays in the home. Um, and it just confuses me because it's in the air. It it feels like it's just everything revolves around what will people think or Mm. what would, what will others say? And there's a lot of social comparison, like so-and-so is becoming a doctor and this person (laughs) just got married. And, um, so it feels like there's a lot of pressure, especially like, when I'm really passionate about suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand how what people t- seem to care about more is what will other people think rather than someone suffering in silence and taking their own life. Because yeah. I know it happens in the Muslim community and South Asian community, but we don't talk about it. Mm. And that makes me really angry. That who cares about what people think? Like, okay, in the even in this moment, I do care what others will think of me, but I'm not letting it stop me from saying what I need to say and being me. Mm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I feel like it's a couple things come to mind. One is I'm wondering for you how religion plays a role in that perception, you know, uh, versus you know, the culture in general, because the, the, the sort of the framework of like pushing it under the rug or like the comparison, the, the more I sort of deepen into this stuff, the more I get into it, the more that feels like a trauma response or like a survival tactic in a way. But I guess to, to the question, like how much is it religion uh, and how much is it culture? Do you think? I think it's very cultural. 
because my religion, which is Islam, I believe it's very love-based. It's just that the way that it was taught to me and others sometimes is very fear-based. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you better pray or you're going to hell. Or if you don't fast, you're, uh, God's going to be angry at you. And very scary messages like that. So it's only as an adult where I can unlearn that as well and see that, no, like in Islam, God is very loving and kind and forgiving. And I don't agree with all of these fear-based teachings. Mm-hmm. And it's scary to say that like, because I'm like, oh, uh, like what, what will other Muslims think of me saying that? But that's how I, I see it. And yeah it's, that's yeah it's confusing I mean, well i mean to sort of cherish you or uplift you and to honor you in this moment like that's your relationship to islam like that's yours that's not mine that's no one else's right mm-hmm. i don't i so empathize with the you know i was raised in a christian home like west you know judeo-christian and a lot of it still to this day so fear-based so like in a way, um, ultimately, like I am no longer practicing Christian. Uh, I lean sort of, if I sort of chose a religion, I, I, I think Buddhism is wonderful, but I, I'm sort of curious about all of it. But what I, what, I, what I feel is true for sort of Christianity, if I'm going to paint a broad brush, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety, and there's a lot of uh, abandoning or denying of self, right? Like there's a denying of our whole person and any sort of fear-based system that does that and religion can do that and other systems can do that. Capitalism can do that. Certainly there's a abandoning of self that happens. There's a not honoring of your wholeness and your wholeness, Yasmin, was someone who is sensitive, you know, maybe for me, if someone who has suicidal ideation, et cetera, like, can we honor the wholeness in ourselves. Um, And when we're young, these systems make us feel like we can't, and that's hard. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So how, like, how has the sort of transition or the progress you've made in your relationship to faith has been from this sort of growing up with this fear base versus like, now you're operating from a love base. How has that transition been for you? Yeah, it's been messy, <laughs> ups and downs. Yeah. And however, I finally feel some sort of stability, which I think for me, it just had to come with time and life experience. I've always been the type who I want to know everything and arrive, be, be at this place. But um, now, I think I feel more peace with my relationship with God and Islam and the fears still do come up, but I try to focus on the love and compassion because I know that my creator created me as a sensitive person for a reason. And I have a purpose on this earth, if anything, to like I think religion and faith it's a sensitive topic for me because there's so much judgment in my community you know so it it feels very scary and for the longest time like throughout my life 
it almost felt like a fight or fight or flight response. Like if a family member judges me or criticizes me, then I feel like this fear of like abandonment. Mm. Like I'm just going to be alone. And that's so scary. That is scary. Yeah. Do you feel supported now with the community, you know, your family? Yeah. Yeah. I am really blessed that my parents um, like are proud of me for being open about my mental health and they accept me as I am. And I'm so supported, but it's, I know that there's a lot of my family who doesn't really understand, but I need to remind myself of like who matters. Mm. Like I cannot please everyone. And that was also something I struggled with throughout my life, just being a people pleaser yep. and bending over backwards to get that pat on the head or that uh, affirmation. Mm-hmm. So much focus on external validation. like, And yep. it makes me sad to, to think back to that where I was just so needy for it. And now to, to know that I can provide that for myself and there are tons of places where I can get that. So, yeah. And then I feel guilty because I'm like, well, my family is my close family is accepting and supportive. So then why am I feeling bad? Cause you have, uh, you know, 25, 30 years or whatever of conditioning of, of programming of, you use the word unlearning to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that stuff just takes time, right? You know, I, I so relate to the people-pleasing piece of it and the ultimately the realization that we have to do as sensitive recovering people-pleasers is to recognize who are our people and who are not mm-hmm. and and what power we have to truly, we can't make anyone understand you know, they have to sort of do the work on their own to, to meet us there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't do that work for them. And, and, and with that realization comes grief, right? That's hard to take, especially if it's people in our family, people we care about, right? So we grieve and we honor our truth and honor ourselves in the process. Yeah. No, it's, I, I totally relate and i just wish that people in my life that i care about could be vulnerable or tap into their own sensitivity because it's such a gift mm-hmm. and i feel bad for them mm-hmm. i know everyone's on their own journey but being able to feel your feelings and connect with others it's so nourishing yeah. and yeah yeah it for me it it feels like an ache sometimes like an ache for those who aren't tapped into that stuff right mm-hmm. and and i have to like i can get in my own head about that too which is maybe i'm maybe i'm presuming maybe i'm assuming of people right maybe i'm even like sort of uh bestowing a certain 
uh, higher echelon of thinking for my side of thinking, right? And that's that's not the path either, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's you're right. Like I I am so in love with feelings and and vulnerability and the empathy and connection and community that comes through that. It's so healing. And I want more and more of it every day and to explore it. And it's so dynamic and so beautiful. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned purpose earlier. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that is the purpose, like, of of human life is to, like, connect and commune in that way. Um, and, yeah, when, when you're witness to someone who has no capacity for that, there is, there is a loss there. There is grief there. It's hard to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd imagine that's why you got into the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I was super lost and confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life in college, but I chose psychology because I knew, okay, well, at least that will help others. And my mom and my grandmother always instilled the value of service in me. So I'm grateful for that to have always wanted to be able to help others. And now it's more about finding that balance where I'm doing that, but not at the expense of to my own mental health. Mm-hmm. Because you had done that for so long? Yeah, I like th- throughout my 20s, I think I would put others before me, um, like just burning myself out and trying to be there for everyone and not thinking that my needs were important because of those messages I received growing up, like a be selfless, don't say no, like, you know, yeah. be a yes your, person. Your value was formed in doing service to the detriment of yourself. Yes. Yeah. And it's something I still struggle with today because I took vacation for two weeks. And during that, I felt anxiety because I thought, who am I when I'm not of use Mm. to others if i'm not helping or producing or accomplishing things then do i even have any worth Mm. i mean you're part of that equation though yasmin you're the other as well like you have to serve yourself right we can't Mm. i mean it's tried and true and a cliche at this point but we can't pour from an empty cup right yeah no, totally. I mean, what are we truly giving to others if we're like abandoning ourselves or bypassing ourselves in the process and we have nothing left to give or we don't even know what we're giving because we're not doing the work of self-exploration, right? Exactly. And I actually took um, a lot of classes and group therapies on uh, Dr. Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's really changed my life because mm. I'm so much farther along now than I was years ago, like there has been growth. Yes, it's still hard, but I do prioritize myself more than I did in the past. And that's what matters. Yep. Baby steps, little victories Mm -hmm. along the way. We have to honor it because sometimes big picture stuff is too overwhelming. Like if Mm -hmm. you take like a top down sort of bird's eye view of it, sometimes it feels like, oh my God, I have so much yeah. to do like there's yeah. so much to do it's overwhelming i was like i had i i mentioned this conversation earlier but my conversation with jessica earlier 
I, you know, in the EMDR work I'm doing and the disconnect from my body that I'm, I'm realizing that I need to uh, work on is, you know, I, I was reflecting a conversation I had with my friend Becca, who basically said to me like, and this is someone who loves me dearly. And I love her dearly as a dear, dear friend. She basically said, I notice known when you aren't fully present and you are, you are sort of away and disconnected a little bit. And that broke my heart to hear that. And it's something I need to me need to be reminded of. But Jessica also reminded me in the same breath that, and she knows me, we've been married for almost 15 years. She's like, known the, the growth that you have gone through the past decade and your ability to be with people and be witness to them and, and be present is astounding. Like I've seen so much growth. So all of that to say, not to blow smoke on, on, on my butt, but to say, <laughs> <laughs> to remind ourselves like in that same breath, we are doing wonderful work and making progress and it's hard too. And there's sides of it that are, that are, the shadow side, the harder side, the stuff that we need to like grind our teeth in a bit, you know? Totally. And I forgot who said it, but how we can be masterpieces and works in progress at the same time. Mm, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So Kristen Neff has come up a few times on this show, uh, her self-compassion work and workshops and stuff like what, what are like maybe a takeaway for yourself that, that you sort of discovered in, in researching or exploring that work? Yeah, I just, I I love the work she did. I first um, heard about uh, in a group therapy in college. That's when I saw her Ted talk. Mm. And one of the takeaways from it is that the common humanity piece. So how there's three ingredients, there's the mindfulness, the self-kindness, or no, wait, hold on. The self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So the biggest piece that I take from that is the common humanity. That just like me, everybody else feels shame or not good enough at times. Just like me, uh, people have resentments towards family members at times. <laughs> just like me, uh, relationship fears, body image, whatever it is. So, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to think that this is unique to me, but then to remember that everyone on this planet feels similar um, experiences. That's it's, it sounds simple, but it's really profound to me. It's deeply profound. Like, you know, NAMI and other beautiful mental health organizations out there, you know, a word or a phrase that's used often is you are not alone, right? Mm -hmm. And and I I feel like in some ways that it's been overplayed, but it's really deep. And what it speaks to is that, right? It's, It's, yes, you're not alone, plain and simple, but also like what's underneath that is, is in our health and in our illness and in our pain, we feel it. We feel that. We we self isolate, right? We mm-hmm. we like deeply believe that no one can understand that that no one will ever understand us, right? Um, yep. And that's such an isolating and and hard place to be. And if we can have the courage, do the work, whatever it takes to to take a, a little baby step outside of that and see that like 
oh, I see Yasmin here, and she is someone who is sensitive too, and we can connect over that. Or this person over here, uh, I remember them talking about this one experience they had, and I, I relate to that. And like, that's it. Like, that's where it starts. And um, yeah, starting with that shared humanity is a crucial in empathy work and it's crucial in, in mental health work as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you brought some of that shared humanity, uh, humanity framework into the sort of the work you do in NAMI and the youth programs? Yeah, I would like to think so that like bringing um, not just the common humanity piece, but self-kindness and all of that, um, both at NAMI, because I sometimes teach mental health first aid and QPR suicide prevention training. So really trying to create those safe spaces wherever I can by modeling vulnerability and by modeling being me rather Mm -hmm. than uh, feeling like, oh, I need to be perfect and so professional. Mm -hmm. And then also I work at Dignity Health Northridge Hospital um, with teenagers for healthy relationship workshops. So that's really a great opportunity for me too, where I love to just normalize um, that normalize all the feelings where Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't need to just be positive and jolly. If I'm not feeling well, I can say that I'm having a bad day or uh, be open about my own depression and anxiety uh, and, and things like that. So I, I'd like to think that I do carry the self-compassion tools wherever I go. And I used to think like, oh, I just, I need to help others and be that role model. But what it comes down to is I need to just be me. Like it's really that it's, it's not always easy, but that's all you can be. Yeah. Like (laughs) if, if I'm just being me and being real, then that in itself is enough. And that has impact and influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, giving yourself permission to do so because you know you mentioned a few of them but there there are just there's so much in our way that that wants to um put some put like layers of of falsehood on ourselves like just put like coats that don't fit hats that look ridiculous whatever like hats that don't feel like us whatever it may be whatever whatever that's whether that's culture or societal or, or, or um, work or, you know, the identity piece that we have to grapple with, like so much of it is a lot of times a, a, a distraction from self or a disguise of self because of fear or anxiety, right? And getting to that gooey, messy, fallible, weird center is 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 the heart of it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah so um what uh so with nami and the uh, actually let me let me turn back the you mentioned this suicide prevention training i'd love to hear more about that and what that entails and what are some of the sort of tenets of that uh, education yeah so Uh, the training that we teach is QPR and it's just as important as CPR. So it stands for question, persuade, refer the three steps that can help anyone help someone else save their own life. Because Mm -hmm. I don't believe that we 
save other lives. We just help them save their own life. Mm. Um, that's what I learned from Kevin Hines. And it's only an hour and a half long. So it's a great, like, with suicide being a public health emergency and the statistics going off the charts, I think it should be mandatory for everyone to get educated. Yeah. And uh, so that's something that we provide. Um, and it's really changed my life because I myself benefited from when I was having a mental health crisis in 2019. Uh, I didn't even know about QPR really, but someone in my community asked me the question, Yasmin, are you thinking about suicide? I said, yes. They referred me. Well, they met with me and luckily I already had a therapist, but they still made that referral piece. Mm -hmm. And, oh, and then, sorry, before that was the P for persuade. So by having that safe space, prioritizing me and letting me be heard, that was them persuading me to get help. And now here I am being able to teach that to others. So I see the impact that this one and a half hour training has on my life and others. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Mm. And do you lead that training, you know, in businesses and schools? Like, where do you lead that training? So in my role, we do it for anyone in the community. So schools, uh, any uh, organizations, nonprofits, anyone in the Valley who requests it, we do it for them. But QPR is taught throughout the country and anyone can just go on qprinstitute.org and find a training near them or request one. Mm. And it's, um, it's really important. It is important. And I, I, I am not that personally, um, like, I don't, I don't know that process very well. And I am someone who has regular suicidal ideation. Um, mm -hmm. In my depression, it, it, it pops up from time to time. And I, I wonder sometimes, and, and maybe, this is a, maybe this is a cynical, dark thought, Yasmin, but mm -hmm. I, I, in, one, in one way, I, I believe the QPR stuff is essential. We need it. I agree with you on that. Absolutely. Uh, suicide prevention is is crucial, and on the other end of it, I also feel like it's a band aid. And by that I mean, like that's not a criticism. By that I mean, I I feel like suicide is a can be a byproduct of all of the suffering that we didn't see before, right? Mm -hmm. And all of that suffering we're not seeing is systemic. It's mm -hmm. in silence because of fear, because of all the stuff you were talking about earlier and growing up, right? Because of systems of silencing, because of shame, because of fear, because of anxiety, uh, systems of violence, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. so, like, that is, that to me seems like the foundational piece. Yes, we need that QPR training. Yes, we need that suicide prevention because sometimes that's where it ends up. But, like, concurrently i guess we need we need all that other stuff which is what we've been talking about yeah yeah no absolutely and i hear you there and for me i guess in my little corner of the world i have some sort of control over getting these free trainings to people through this grant we received so i'm like okay 
this is what I can do. I don't know how to change systems, but let me just get as many people in these classes as possible. Um, so, yeah. I appreciate that reminder because, and it goes back to the reminder of like, celebrate those mini victories. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you, you mentioned earlier, Yasmin, just like this, this, you have this fire inside you to want to connect and to to make an impact, right? And to mm-hmm. and I, I have the same, and I, I I'm sometimes stuck with my own sort of utopian version of the world that I'm striving for, right? And mm-hmm. in that same vein, I I I step on my own toes, you know. <laughs> I shoot myself in the foot, you know, because I'm. I can't go from A to Z in one step, right? It's A mm-hmm. and then B and then C. And God, sometimes that's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I, I need to remind that to myself multiple times per day. And because I put a lot of pressure on myself historically. And another thing I learned from Kevin Hines, who is the suicide survivor, um, is that it's not how many people you reach, but rather that you reach people. Mm. So, because for me, I always think, oh, like one day when I'm really successful, then I'll have an impact. But no, even here, right here, right now, if one person hears me and they feel less alone, then that is what matters. Yes, I agree. And you're so spot on. And and listeners, you're listening to this. Hi. It's me, Known, and it's Yasmin Irfani, and we're talking about suicide prevention, and we want you to stay. We want you to be here. If you're struggling, reach out to NAMI, reach out to mental health support, reach out to a friend, reach out to someone who feels safe, know that you're loved and cared for, and that we want you to stay. Yeah. (laughs) So... As the youth programs director at NAMI, what are your what are your goals for this coming year? Yes, so my goal is to try to train um, a total of twenty five hundred people in these mental health trainings. So the past two years, we've made it to sixteen hundred, and my goal for by November twenty twenty two is twenty five hundred. So that is in the QPR and mental health first aid. Yeah, it's a lot, but I am determined to make that happen. And it's scary <laughs> because mm. I'm like, oh, will I be able to do it? But I think that right now, due to the continued pandemic, mental health is something that more people are acknowledging. Mm-hmm. So it, it relates to everyone in some way or another. So really we all just, have mental health. Yeah, yeah, we, exactly. We all have mental health. And so, so I hope to be able to, to do that. That's wonderful. And, and do, you, do, you, do you plan on sort of approaching it differently than you had in the past, you know, to try to reach those 2,500 people? I think I do want to try something different this year. and. I think I would like to do something with more storytelling. Mm. So using storytelling events, 
either through Instagram Live or Zoom events where people can come and connect like we're doing right now. And then using that as a way to also inspire them to take the trainings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. So I would like to add some more vulnerability, more connection to the community um, rather than just doing outreach the way I've been doing it, like sending flyers, making calls. Mm, um, flyers. You know. uh, <laughs> it brings back hard memories of working in, you know, marketing roles at various businesses, you know, in the past 20 years. Um, flyers. Yeah. The bane of my existence. <laughs> uh well, you know, in, you know, this is a an open invitation to to connect with me and Feely Human if if there's something like you and I could work on, sort of co-collaborate on. Uh happy to sort of explore that. Yes. No, I, I would love to because I truly believe that like we can't do anything alone. I don't want to lead projects by myself. I want to partner up with other people with the same values and mission. So I I would be honored. Lovely. Sounds good. When you think about, you know, we just mentioned this coming year, but we're, as of this recording, it's December, 2021. And it feels weird to say that because when is what, uh, indeed. <laughs> yeah. um, when you think about this past year, this 2021, like what, what are some things that come to mind for you personally? I love that question. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that comes to mind from this past year is learning to be on my own side. Mm. So to, to not abandon myself or not put myself in any relationship, organization or situation where I need to abandon myself or not be on my own side. And another thing is, is how in my culture, and I think just for a lot of women of color or women, there's pressure to get married, to have kids and all of that. So me being yeah. 29 and being single is a huge stressor to my family and relatives. So I'm proud of myself for this year to not just find someone to get married for the heck of it, but to know that I'm okay on my own. Like I have my back and if somebody comes along, great. Of course I yearn for companionship, but I have a greater purpose than just getting married and having kids. Yeah. I love that. Good for you. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. It, it feels good to say. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. I think you bring up a, a crucial point, you know, for women across the board, for women of color, for, you know, maybe culturally in the, mm -hmm. the Pakistani, uh, South Asian uh, area, like, yeah, pressure. Pr I mean, I see it, we feel it, you know, I see it in friendships, and I see it in the world, there is that pressure. <laughs> and it mm -hmm. feels so deeply unfair. Uh, and deeply, I think, rooted in misogyny and and division and inequity, uh, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good for you for sort of honoring that for yourself. That's wonderful. Thank you. It's not always easy, but as I look back on the year, 
I'm like, yeah, I, I'm practicing what I preach, which is not always easy. It's easier for me to tell other people like, Oh, you know, a man or a partner, they won't fulfill you. That's not just what makes you happy. Like you got to love yourself. But like for me to actually struggle through that day by day, when I feel lonely, when I feel the fears of what's going to happen in my future, it, to, to know that like, I will always be there for me Mm. is really huge. And that's what I want to teach others, especially young people to teach them self-compassion. So hopefully they don't have to unlearn as much (laughs) when they're in their adulthood, the way I did. Yes. Let's stop before they start stuffing all those weird shirts and hats into the bag, (laughs) (laughs) into that baggage. Yeah, no, I, I love that. That's wonderful. And, 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 and gives me hope that, you know, you're, you know, in your, in your little realm, you know, making an impact on your community and, and, and a community of young people too. Like that's, that's crucial. I, I am I am generally sort of in awe and inspired by the younger generation, you know, mm-hmm. kids in their teens and 20s now. Like it's uh, so much more self-awareness and vulnerability and sensitivity and uh, a mind and heart for social justice and, you know, all this stuff that I, you know, when I was a teenager, I was you know, oblivious, just trying to survive. Like it was just, uh, I was just a fuck up kid, you know? Um, so it's like, I see, I see that here and there through talking to people like you and it's, it gives me a great, great deal of hope. Same. I'm so inspired by the the young people and they're the ones who encouraged me to share my voice indirectly because it's when I was working with Muslim youth in my local mosque for four years, it's their vulnerability and their courage to share such personal things with me, Mm. which made me realize that I need to be more open and honest because, because of them. Yeah. And oftentimes in my culture, there's this, hierarchy where it's like oh no the elders are always right and you must respect your elders and but there's so much to learn from young people too yes yes such an important point and yeah i i think about it all the time we there's so much to learn from all of us across the board the work is like being open to it and and abandoning Mm -hmm. the bias and and assuming less about each other and coming into it with an open heart and understanding that like, you, you know, you're 29, I'm 40, this person's 15, this person's 87, doesn't matter. They're a human who has lived and they have stories to tell and they have, they have, they have experience to share and they have empathy to give. And if we're coming in or if we're coming into that situation with uh, this defensiveness or this armor of, Oh, I'm older than you. Therefore, I am better. Therefore, I know better. You know, uh, you're not going to get anywhere. Your defenses are up, right? And that's, I see that happen all the time. And it, 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 
it disheartens me, but when I see it, you know, in your example, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Such a good reminder of that, of that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. So do you have anything else you want to share in particular, uh, about your story or, or would you like to transition into empathy heroes? I think what I would want to share is that for a lot of my life, I invalidated my own feelings and felt guilty because of the privileges that I had Mm. like, Oh, well I have so much, I've been so blessed. So why should I feel sad? But I just want people to know that it's not either, or it's both. And Mm -hmm. you can have privilege and resources and also be going through mental health conditions. It's not so black and white. We're so complex and messy and feely. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's just one thing that I would want to share from my journey. Yeah. It's a wonderful reminder. Yeah. It's both. And it's messy. It's feely. It's curious. Are my pain uh, doesn't invalidate your pain, you Mm -hmm. know, or your experience. Right. Uh, But awareness of that privilege, awareness of the intersectionality of humanity and our shared humanity and our individual humanity is crucial in progress, right? You know, how has that privilege uh, given me, you know, a a step up and what can I do with it and how do I operate within that framework and, and maybe dismantle it or maybe unlearn certain things that come with it, right? It's all about awareness. Awareness and action. Mm-hmm. 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 Love it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, let's talk about empathy heroes. This is the part of the show where my guest and I uh, talk about people in our lives who are empathetic, compassionate, deeply feely people. Could be even characters from stories we love or movies we cherish. I will go first to give you, Yasmin, a, a moment to think <laughs> about your empathy hero. My empathy heroes this week are a duo. Uh, and it's uh, Jess St. Clair, Jessica St. Clair, and June Diane Raphael from the Deep Dive podcast. Uh, it's a podcast I just started listening to maybe six months ago, and it's just so delightful. They are, first of all, just so hilarious, hilarious human beings, deeply funny. You know, they're actors, they're comedians, they're, they're deeply funny people, and they show up in a way that's deep. That's why it's called the deep dive. They show up in a way that's so vulnerable and they share stuff that will make you cry and laugh and will fill your heart. And it's just a, it's just a good time and will will just make you smile. So I encourage you all to check out the deep dive podcast with Jess St. Clair and June Diane Raphael. It's wonderful. And they are my empathy heroes this week. How about you, Yasmin? So does it have to be for this week? Or no, yeah, yeah. Just, no, okay. I, mean, I say this week because there's a podcast <laughs> yeah. episode every week. So it's, it's whatever okay. you want to name. Okay, great. Yeah. So my empathy hero is Maryam Tarek, who is my cousin, but I consider her my sister. And she has been the one person in my whole family system where I have felt emotionally safe throughout my life. She's three years younger than me. She's the best listener, so non-judgmental, so empathetic. 
and strong. She's a breast cancer survivor and is so resilient and optimistic. And she, she's one of the main reasons that where I am today, because I think all of us need at least one person um, who we can feel safe with. And if it's, and especially since that was within my family, it was even better for me. So mm. huge shout out to Mariam. Mariam. Mm-hmm. Oh, w- wonderful. I love that. We need safe people. You're, you're absolutely right. That's beautiful. Um, well, uh, Yasmin, where can the feely humans out there connect with you and learn more about the work you're doing? Yeah. So anyone can contact me at my email, which is uh, yasmin.irfani at namisfb.org. And we could put that in the uh, caption as well. Or Instagram, it's yasmin underscore irfani. Or even our NAMI page, which is uh, NAMI, uh, at NAMI San Fernando. Wonderful. Well, listeners, those links will be in the show notes, uh, uh, including uh, Yasmin's uh, email address if you want to connect with her more and learn more about the wonderful work uh, she is doing out in the San Fernando Valley. If you're in the San Fernando Valley, Feel the Humans, connect. Connect with Yasmin. Get to get to know the NAMI organization out there. They're doing wonderful work. Yasmin, thank you so much for being a part of Yumi Empathy. Yeah, thank you, Noan, for, for the space and everything that you're doing. It, it's amazing and it's very inspiring. Oh, thank you, friend. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy.